Well, let's turn to God's Word. And again, as Owen said, I do welcome you. If you are um, a visitor here, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 14 and in the providence of God, uh, Romans 14, 15, and 16 will be the next three Sundays, which um, will be my last uh, Sunday's preaching here as as your minister, and I say in the providence of God, because um, if I wanted to say anything to this congregation, it would be from uh, these chapters. You'll find it on page 1140. We will look at the whole of chapter 14. I'd like to have done what Martin Lloyd-Jones did, which was he did 17 sermons on it and only got to verse 17, and then he packed in. So, I feel that in one thing, I've beaten Martin Lloyd-Jones because, God willing, we'll, we'll finish uh, the whole of Romans. But there's a great deal in here, but it's actually quite good to take it as a whole, although uh, please don't panic when you hear this because uh, we're going to look at 20 principles of how to live together as Christians. So, but it, it, it won't take us as, as long as it sounds. We have a, a principle. If you're, not, if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, what's the church all about? What are we trying to do? Well, I had a basic principle that when we came here in 1992 was to have an open church which honors the Bible. What do we mean by that? Well, if you can imagine the scenario, through in the halls, which were quite run down at the time, uh, there's just a handful of people meeting, and I suggested that what we needed to do was open the front doors and meet in here where there was uh, pews and everything else. And it did seem kind of strange for a handful of us to be meeting here, but part of the principle was we wanted the doors to be open for people. But an, an open church doesn't mean that. What it means is that we wanted to create a church where People would feel welcome, people who wanted to find out more about Jesus, uh, Christians who'd been battered and bruised, and maybe some stopped going to church, uh, others, who, people who were curious, and, um, and Christians of different persuasions. Now, the Lord honored that, and uh, I, I believe that the basic principle of in essentials unity and in non-essentials diversity. What's uh, an essential? Well, I'm going to illustrate this with, with uh, uh, illustrations from the past uh, three decades. I think my absolute favorite of a request for membership was a man who came up to me after being in church one Sunday, and in the next Sunday he came and he said, I'd like to join the church. So I'm a great optimist, and I thought, that's wonderful. He hadn't been in church before. I thought the Holy Spirit has worked in his life. He's being converted. But the next sentence kind of floored me because he said, I, but I didn't believe in Jesus. I said, okay, that's a big deal in this church. <laughs> you know, you kind of have to be. And his face absolutely fell. And he said, oh, can, does that mean I can't come? I said, no, no, no. No, no. I said, we won't let you join the church because you don't believe in Jesus. That's the big thing. But we would, we do want you to come. And he says, like, I don't have to join. Yeah. And you don't want my money. No, we don't want your money. Oh, this is great. <laughs> and he just thought church was something like an organization that you joined, you became part of. And he thought, there's some good stuff here. I'd like to be part of it. 
someone like that can come along. There are other people who come in and they'll say things like, I don't believe in this and I don't believe in that. Christians, or I very strongly believe in this. Say, well, that's fine. If they're not essentials, and essentials are uh, pretty clear, I think, from Scripture, then we have diversity in non-essentials. There are dangers in this approach, but I do believe, as this chapter shows, it's the biblical approach. Because there's a danger that we base our church upon our culture, our opinions, our politics, our traditions, when we all need to be open to the Word of God. There's also another issue that this chapter, I think, deals with, and that is fightings and fallouts within the church. Now, some people have come from backgrounds where there was, they came from churches where there was tremendous bitterness and tremendous fighting. And I guess the thing that most of us as Christians would say has hurt us the most uh, are are other Christians. You say, well, that shouldn't be. Yeah, but that's family, and we're sinners, and that's the way that it is. But I think Paul deals with that here. And one other thing I think he deals with here is when you become a Christian, is it like you get a manual, you know, how to be a Christian? I don't think so. But is it that, oh, well, the Holy Spirit will always lead you? And again, I don't think so. In fact, some of the most dangerous people in the church are those who are absolutely convinced that their every opinion has directly come from God. Because you can't argue with them because to them you're arguing with God. So how do we live together? And it is so important that uh, as a church we learn to live with differences. Well, let's read from verse 1 to verse 12. Romans 14, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat anything, everything rather, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord." For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now Paul here deals with matters of food and drink and also keeping special days. He does this also in 1 Corinthians um, 10 and uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I think also in 1 Corinthians 8. So it was uh, clearly an issue in the churches then. What does it mean to accept those whose faith is weak? I don't think it's talking about, you know, someone who's got a great deal of trust in God and someone who doesn't have a great deal of trust in God. Here, I think from the context, it's very clear 
that this is someone whose understanding of the faith is weak. They have difficulty working it out. There are many reasons that people can be like that, uh, one being simply they've never ever been taught. So, I remember one person coming to the church here and after the first service saying, wow, I've got so much to unlearn. Well, that's true. Sometimes things get very uh, tangled up. And sometimes maybe we're taught wrongly. And sometimes we'll have an attitude as we see, which is one of pride uh, and one of hypersensitivity. But the weak in faith is really in terms of weak in, in understanding. Sometimes you will find that people can be very hypersensitive. Should I do this or should I not? Is this what a Christian should do and is this what a Christian should not do? And, and there's, a, there's a good thing about that. There's a sensitivity that's right, but there's an oversensitivity that can be wrong. And, and sometimes you get people who are hung up on very much secondary issues. So it's not long after you've met them that they bring up their favorite doctrine, and it's usually a secondary. I'm not, I'm not going to list them because some of you will think I'm having a go at you, and I'm not. Um, all of us uh, can be tempted to do that. And the temptation then for those who are maybe got a better understanding is to, sometimes it's to make fun of somebody. That's never good. Sometimes it's to intimidate people, to, to kind of batter them into the ground with argument. Or sometimes we avoid subjects. We can't discuss this in our home group because. So I remember one guy coming who was convinced that you weren't a Christian if you didn't speak in tongues. You know, despite me, I, I, I sent him to some Gallic speakers just to reassure him we were okay. Uh, but, you know, so in, in a group that he was going to, they said, we're never ever going to bring up that issue. Well, they didn't need to because it wasn't in the passages they were studying. But of course, he was going to bring it up. So we sometimes think we can't talk about these things. Well, here's the key to this. I think this is in, in what Paul is saying here is we warmly welcome people and we show that we care for them. We do not despise people. We never think, oh, that idiot. Because we're foolish as well. We never denounce people. We listen to people and we pray and hope that they will listen uh, to us. So these, I think, are, are the basic principles. First of all, indifferent matters are not central. They're not the basis of our church membership. We'll have two people becoming members with us today, and we didn't ask them their views on baptism, on the second coming, on the millennium, on the nation state of Israel, on uh, never asked them if they were vegans. Uh, we, we, we didn't ask any of these things. And here's an astonishing thing. You can be a member in this church and believe there's a whole range of different opinions about secondary issues. And personally, I think that's a wonderful way to be. Principle two is how we deal with one another is essential. We're having an AGM uh, this Wednesday. Spurgeon says this about church meetings. When you go into churches... He was saying to his students, he was lecturing his students who were training for the ministry, he says, when you go into churches, you'll find that there are people who in a prayer meeting pray like angels, but the moment they go into a church meeting and discuss the affairs of the church, these same people suddenly become like devils. Now, I've seen that. 
I've witnessed that. Probably done it. It's incredible how that can happen. But how we deal with one another is so absolutely essential. Tied in with that, principle three is how we talk to one another and how we teach one another is, is, is vital because we are to teach one another. We are to learn from one another. And so being condescending and being patronizing and being bitter and being competitive, uh, these are not the, the ways that we are to teach one another. The more you go on, the more you realize that you do not know. We learn. I visited uh, one lady, and she's with her friends, and we were doing a Bible study together, and asked about suffering, and I gave the absolute most brilliant answer you've ever heard about suffering, until she went through to the kitchen to make some tea and stuff, and they said, do you know who this is? And I said, no, and they told me, and she was a lady whose son had been severely handicapped from about six weeks old, and she's quite a well-known lady. She'd, BBC had made a program about her, and she'd gone through a lot of suffering. And I, I, I felt just like that, because I'd given this brilliant answer, which had no connection at all to her. So I went through the kitchen, and I said to her, look, I am really, really sorry. I did not know who you were. And she looked at me, and it was a great answer she gave me. She says, that's all right, son, you'll learn. And that's true. We learn. We're always learning. None of us have, have made it. So here in, in, in Rome, there was this problem with food. Now, to put it very simply, the Christian Jews had been brought up with very strict food laws. Don't eat pork, don't eat certain types of fish. The pagans had gone into pagan temples where they would eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. And the question for them was, should we eat that food when it goes out into the marketplace? And so these were real uh, deep issues. And some were saying, no, no, you can't eat this. And others were saying, well, no, no, everyone, you can eat whatever you want. And then you'll see here it talks about vegetables. Um, I don't really think he's talking about vegetarians, just saying people were not going to eat meat in case it's been sacrificed in the market. Uh, but there were people who uh, later on in the church would say that it was wrong to eat meat. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole vegetarian uh, um, meat thing because you're welcome in this church if you eat hamburgers, and you're welcome in this church if you eat soya bean burgers. It doesn't uh, matter, uh, at least depends on your taste. And, and also your principles. There are people who will not eat meat out of principle, and we don't say, well, that's wrong. So there's a kind of tolerance in that. I, I don't think Paul was aware of vegans, or my most favorite in this congregation was the lady who told me she was thinking of becoming a fruitarian. And if you wonder what a fruitarian is, you only eat fruit if it's fallen from the tree, not if it's been picked, because if it's been picked, it's been killed. So uh, that was an interesting dynamic. But you, Paul says, look, what do you do here? You judge. The weak judges the strong. The weak says, why are you eating that meat? It's been in the temple. And the strong judges the weak. Why are you not eating that meat? Don't you realize we've been set free? And he's really just saying we shouldn't judge. I mean, he, look at the other thing there, the special days. That's not referring to the Sabbath. I don't believe that. Uh, the Sabbath is in the fourth commandment, which is part of the moral law. There can be a strict Sabbatarianism, which does great harm. 
But we need to remember what Jesus taught, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And let me just, again, just simply make a very, very simple observation. The obedience to the fourth commandment is now an optional one amongst evangelical Christians, including some of you here. And I think that is a fundamental flaw and will do you so much harm. And here's why. Because God gives us one day in seven and says, that's my holy day, worship me on that day. And we say, that's okay, we don't need it. Or we're too busy. And I, I can't get away from the words of Jesus. The fourth commandment and the words of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man. God has given you a day to worship and serve him. I, I, there are people who cannot come to church on a Sunday because they're ill, or they cannot come because they're working, and there are other different things that stop people. It's not just the coming to church. But sadly, I've witnessed far too many. I've witnessed students who uh, decided that Sunday was their sports day. I know they were going to be a witness to their friends. And I could tell you of people now who are far, far away from the faith, and they were so zealous. And there are many different ways that that can happen. And it, do you know this? It drips in insidiously. So I observe that someone, you know, they're tired and they've got too much during the week so they don't come out on a Sunday evening. And then they've got a reason for not coming out because of the kids. And then the kids grow up, but they still don't come out. And then, maybe not always, but nine times out of ten, you notice a drop in the spiritual temperature. So, we are not to let anyone judge us, he says. Not, I don't think it's about the Lord's day. But as he says in Colossians 2.16, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or the Sabbath days. Because the Jews had many Sabbaths. If you look at Numbers and Leviticus, they had feast days, they had preparation days. Like in the old days, we would have communion seasons. Or perhaps nowadays, we have Christmas and Easter. 27 years ago, we didn't have Christmas services here. And now we do. This year, for the first time, we had a week long of Easter services, and somebody remarked to me, that's very Catholic. Well, yeah, it probably is. So, if you think, I don't want to observe Christmas, because actually Jesus wasn't born on Christmas Day, and because it was a pagan festival, and well, God bless you, and get on with it. Don't observe Christmas. I won't buy you a gift, uh, just to honor your conscience, but, you know, Fine. It's not, you don't, you don't, as a Christian, you don't have to do it. I think that's what Paul's saying. And you won't be judged. And it's the same with the Easter thing. You may say, I don't want to go to services during Holy Week. Fine, don't do it. But don't judge those who do. That's what he's saying here. So the fourth principle is we must seek to avoid giving offense. We don't go out to offend people. I know there are people who say, well, I like speaking my mind. Yeah, I usually find that people who like speaking their mind don't like other people's minds being spoken to them. So be careful. Some things you don't say. Now, you're looking at me saying, what a hypocrite. You, have, you, 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 you talk about, you know, you just open your mouth and say anything. Believe you me, I will use this quote of Spurgeon. When Spurgeon one time was asked, uh, a woman actually accused him, said, Mr. Spurgeon, you use far too much humor in the pulpit. His answer was, Madam, you may well be right, but you should be thankful for what I don't use. So yes, you should be thankful for what I don't say. Uh, you don't know what I don't say because I haven't said it. By the, uh, as they say. We must seek to avoid giving offense. Then look at verse 4. We must not judge another man's servant. Now this is in a context of a culture 
where the vast majority of people who were not slaves or servants would have slaves or servants. Your doctor was a slave. Your teacher was a slave. You'd have people come in and clean your house. And it's a bit like supposing in in this culture, maybe we're going a little bit back to this, but in this culture, supposing you were posh enough that you actually had someone cook your meal and clean the house for you. And a friend comes in, you invite people around for a dinner party, and you know, it's the kind of thing that happens in Charleston all the time, and you invite people around for a dinner party, and the butler does whatever the butler does, and then you go, ah, your butler's useless. This house isn't very clean. You're judging another man's servant. You wouldn't do that. Let me maybe put it in a more realistic context for you. And again, I've discovered this. There are certain things, rules I would advise any preacher. Just, I would just say be very, very, very careful when you're mentioning money, although you have to do it. And secondly, watch out for the children. And what I mean by that is not the actual children, but their parents and their grandparents. Because in our culture, including in the church, criticize anyone's child, and that's you done. And I've seen some almighty blow-ups in this church because of that. Well, what God is saying to us here is almost the same thing. He's saying, they're my children. Who are you to criticize my children? Who are you to judge my servants? Don't judge another man's servant. Now, that doesn't mean we don't call out heresy, and it doesn't mean we don't deal with sin. But we do need to remember they're not our servants, They're God's servants. Lloyd-Jones uses this wonderful phrase. He says, we must stop being spiritual detectives ready to condemn for a word or a phrase. I've lost count of the times that people have said, I was offended because you said that. Or I read this that you wrote. And you look at it and it's one phrase that's often taken out of context. And yet, it's strange how that can get into the heart, how that can get into the mind, how it can create bitterness. We mustn't judge someone else's servant. There's so many times I've looked at people and I've thought, where are they at? Where are they at? But God alone knows. I don't know. We must have confidence that God can finish the work He has begun. Look what He says at verse 4. He will stand, for the Lord is able to make Him stand. My problem, your problem is this. We're always starting things and never finishing them. But God always finishes the work He begins. We must be fully persuaded in our own minds. Verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We are not a cult, and we are not an authoritarian organization. You do not believe something because the minister says or because so-and-so says. We have to be persuaded in our own mind, not because our mind is God, but because God deals with us as His children and He wants us to be willing. Our conscience needs to be educated and enlightened, but we must not go against it. And that's because we do what we do to the Lord. Principle eight. So, someone buys a Sunday newspaper and someone else doesn't. Both do it to the Lord. We do not live for ourselves. We live for the Lord and we live for others. We are not in control. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Something important in that as well. As regards death, we have nothing to fear. The Heidelberg Catechism, I love this, it says this, 
Death for the Christian is not a payment for sin, but an entrance into life. When you're in ministry, for as long as I've been here, you see a significant amount of death. Not initially, we were such a young congregation, but you see more. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of some of the deaths that, that were just horrendous and just so desperately, desperately sad. But as believers, those who, who died as believers, they died to the Lord. That's in the Lord's hand. It's the Lord's time. Richard Baxter wrote a hymn, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve Thee is my share, and this Thy grace must give. We are here to serve God. We do not know for how long. And principle nine, we recognize that we are brothers and sisters together. We do not judge one another or treat others with contempt. It's horrible to be treated with contempt. Do you know, it's worse than people being angry with you. It's when people go, oh, I don't care about them. They're disgusting or they're weak. They're pathetic. It's horrible to be treated with contempt. We should treat people with respect. And beware of judgmentalism in a legalistic atmosphere. There's a judgment day coming, he says, but it's not now. We lay a foundation, as he writes to the Corinthians, as a, as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each should build with care because the day will bring it to light. The work that we have done, it may look great, it may look good, or it may feel awful, it may feel pathetic, but the day will bring it to light. God's day of judgment. And my great plea to the Lord is that because of the work that God has done in this church, that on the judgment day, there will be many who hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I don't know that because it's the day that brings it to light. We do not live as judges over one another. We live as those who will be judged. And then verses 13 to 23. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced, notice that again, the convinced again, that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. I listened... Uh, to a service this morning on Radio 4, and how many times have you heard me say this? I wish I hadn't. Uh, I should have known from the title, Boundless Openness. You got a boundless openness. We need boundaries, and it's the boundaries of God's Word. And so here are some boundaries that we're given. 
We're free. As Christians, we're free. We cannot be condemned. But the Lord gives us some boundaries and guidelines for our lives. Number one, if you like, or this is number 11, depending on how you count it, don't put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of brothers or sisters. And the word that's used there is scandalon, from which we get the scandal. And scandalon was a trap to catch animals. Don't set your brother or sister a trap. Be fully persuaded again. Think about things. When he says things here are unclean, he's talking about uh, used for food and utensils. So let me give you one example of how that works. What is this building? It's a building. To me, it's a very special place because of its history and everything else. But it's not the temple of God. We are the temple of God. When we redid the building, we put picture rails around so that we could hang art gallery works and so on. And I remember one time, there were some people who were very offended at that. And so we had numerous discussions on the Kirk session about it. Now, from my point of view, it's a building. It didn't bother me at all, but I knew it bothered other people. So what do you do? I think on, on the, the principle that said here, don't, don't, if it's going to cause a, a, a scandal on in that sense, then sometimes you let things go. Verse 15, you act in love. You may be right. Usually when I argue for something, I'm right. Uh, at least I think I am. That's why I argue for it. If I didn't think it was right, I wouldn't argue for it. I don't like arguing. I just think this is right. But supposing it is right. Often you think you're right and you're wrong. But supposing it is right. If you don't love and act in love, your opinion can actually do a great deal of harm. You don't ride roughshod over people. You can be strong, but you can also be selfish and self-centered. We do need to consider others. Now, that doesn't mean that you let other people's emotions or feelings override yours, but you have to think about, is this for the good of the kingdom, which is what he goes on to say. And that's why in verse 16, he says, be wise so that your good does not become scandal. So let's say you enjoy a glass of wine. Now, biblically, there's nothing wrong with that. But you have a Christian up to your home who is strongly opposed to drink, to alcohol. And you say, I've got freedom. I don't care. I'm going to do this. It's just wrong to behave like that. Better not to eat or drink, to eat meat or drink wine, says Paul, if you're going to cause someone to stumble. Verse 17, you remember what the kingdom of God is. It is, it is <clears throat> it's not eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, woe to you, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. How many times have people in this church as well, as everywhere else, because we're sinners too, how many times do we strain out gnats but swallow camels? We don't see, we, 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 we get upset about the minor things and we don't see the big things. We serve Christ, verse 18. We're not serving ourselves. It's not about our rights. We're serving Him. We work for peace and mutual edification. God's whole purpose is to produce peace. So in Romans 5.1, 
It's being justified by faith. We have peace with God, and that peace with God gives us peace with other people. If we do not have peace with God and we do not have peace within ourselves, then we will be very, I think, aggressive and defensive against other people. We should be people who look for peace. It even abolishes enmities. It's been one of a great privilege for me to see people who were uh, opposed or even enemies and see how God has reconciled us together. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's a truly horrible thing to see the opposite. Verse 22, sometimes it's good to be silent. What you believe, keep to yourself about these things. Sometimes you need to speak. You have to. You have to do so in love. You have to speak the truth in love. But sometimes it's good to keep quiet. Now, I'm going to give you a trivial illustration, but um, you'll understand uh, what I'm saying by this. Supposing, let's supposing one of the kids comes down to the front and they've got a, a nice new dress on, but the dress is pretty horrendous. You think, oh my goodness, where did they get that? And then the child says to you, what do you think of my dress? Do you think it's loving to go, ah, actually, I think it's horrendous. I'd put it back or whoever bought you that, they mustn't like you very much. No, <laughs> how's that in love? You don't have to lie, but it's the same thing. That you, sometimes we need to keep quiet because we don't know, because we're not in a position to pass judgment and many, many other things. Verse 23, everything must come from faith. You've got doubts. You can, should I eat this? Should I not? Well, if you've got doubts, don't do it. Because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So those, I think, are great principles. Um, there's one that I want to go back to because, to me, it's very key to what we are trying to do here. And it's the great vision of God and the kingdom of God and how we please God. Go back to verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Serving God in this way. What does it do? It, it pleases God, and it pleases men. There's something very attractive about a church which is focused on God. So I was so taken with this um, passage from Lloyd-Jones. I, I, I found it very moving. He's talking about evangelism. He's talking about this verse, and he says that there are people interested in evangelism, how to approach people, strategies, methodologies, money, and advertising. And as the church grows, we keep thinking, yeah, well, we should do this, and we should do it this way, and we should do that. And we do need things to work how to do. But this is what Lloyd-Jones says. And for me, this is where we're at. All the arguments and fuss about methods are, in my opinion, due to the fact that we have not asked the original and preliminary question. It is this. Why are the masses of the people in this country, let's say this city, outside the Christian church? And I have a terrible feeling within me that the real answer to that question is that you and I, who are inside, have somehow given the impression that this business of the kingdom of God and of Christianity is so small and contemptible that it is not even worthy of their thought and consideration. They want something big. 
They say they want real life, not this negative smallness, this finicky little thing with self-important people concerned here and there about details. I think most people in Dundee are not in the Christian church today because of the Christian church, not because of the people. And we do. We go so picky about tiny things, and we forget. We forget that there are people who are lost and going to hell. We forget that we ourselves are sinful. We forget the greatness and glory of God and of Jesus Christ. And we're thinking about our own glory. My motto here has always been preach the Word and see what happens, because I believe that God's Word works. And I don't think anything I've seen here causes me uh, to disbelieve that. In fact, I'm, I, I believe it even more than I ever did It's why the heart, that's what the heart of this church should be, not primarily distinctive doctrines or or, um, church government. Do you know, uh, we have people come from all over the world to this church because of its history. And uh, one of my most amusing memories was standing at the door with Emma Jane when she was five or six years old, and she had a Viking helmet on, right? The horns, the whole thing. And a bunch, bunch load of Dutch tourists from a very strict church in the Netherlands came in. Now, they were lovely people. Don't get me wrong, they were lovely people, but we would disagree about some of the things that are mentioned in Romans 14, like women wearing trousers. That was the thing that upset them most. Um, my favorite, because they were speaking in Dutch and some of our people speak Dutch, and my favorite was the quote that I heard, oh my, what a wonderful minister, but what a terrible congregation, <laughs> which... <laughs> Uh, and that was because of the way that people were dressed and, and all that kind of stuff. But I remember when they came in and they were looking and I could see that the, the domine, the, the minister, was a little bit concerned as he was watching people coming in and out. And then he saw Emma Jane with the wee Viking helmet. And he turned, and I'll not say to who, he turned to one of the uh, guys on the door and said, excuse me, is, is this a Calvinist church? And the guy in the door said, oh, no, 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 we're a normal church. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> okay, that was not the answer. <laughs> um, you just, you wonder sometimes. And yet, bus stopped down there one time. There were four girls talking, and one of them turned to the other, uh, one of the others and said, I've seen you. Do you go to see you? Yeah. You're a Christian? Yeah. What church do you go to? Well, I go to uh, the free church. What church do you go to? Oh, no, I don't go to the free church. I go to St. Peter's. <laughs> Same thing. And again, I was kind of pleased with that because you do not identify with, you know, I'm of Apollos I'm of, or, or the denomination or whatever. You're saying this, this is about Jesus. It's about Christ. Now, that doesn't mean to say you're any less committed to the local church. In fact, it should mean that you are more committed. Why? Because there's only one king. This is about the kingdom. There's only one king. Church, the head of the church is not the pope. The head of the church is not the queen. The head of the church is not the pastor. The head of the church is not a bishop or a priest. The head of the church is not the most dominant personality. There is only one, and that is King Jesus. I'll finish with just a quote from Lloyd-Jones. My great concern should not be for meat and drink and observations of days, or this, that, or the other, but that the King should be enthroned in my heart. Let's pray. Lord, grant that you would be enthroned in our hearts as we sit at your table. May it be that we would know and experience uh, a sense of communion 
and Eucharist of, of thanksgiving and joy. And we bless you that, that you don't treat us like robots. You haven't given us a manual and that none of us here is infallible. In fact, all of us are, are more sinful than we realize. And yet, this is what you build your kingdom out of. And we bless you for what you have done and continue to do and will continue to do in this place amongst this people. In your name, amen.